Favorites. I chose three favorite passages from these chapters, which illustrate three distinct virtues of this novel. First, there is its quality of sentimentality and compassion. The scene of Carolyn's death, after she had sacrificed her own health to attend to her ailing daughter, and during which she suppresses her own suffering to focus on her children's feelings and future, is touching and tender. I found the following passage both insightful and poetic. Quote, I need not describe the feelings of those whose dearest ties are rent by that most irreparable evil, the void that presents itself to the soul, and the despair that is exhibited on the countenance. It is so long before the mind can persuade itself that she whom we saw every day, and whose very existence appeared a part of our own, can have departed forever, that the brightness of a beloved eye can have been extinguished, and the sound of a voice so familiar and dear to the ear can be hushed, never more to be heard. These are the reflections of the first days, but when the lapse of time proves the reality of the evil, then the actual bitterness of grief commences." Yet from whom has not that rude hand rent away some dear connection? And why should I describe a sorrow which all have felt and must feel? The time at length arrives when grief is rather an indulgence than a necessity, and the smile that plays upon the lips, although it may be deemed a sacrilege, is not banished. My mother was dead but we had still duties which we ought to perform. We must continue our course with the rest, and learn to think ourselves fortunate whilst one remains whom the spoiler has not seized." Unquote. I just lost my dear grandmother June, so I felt these lines deeply. I imagine everyone can relate to the stages of grief here identified. The initial disbelief that one whose very existence appeared a part of our own can be gone. The bitterness and grief that are felt once the lapse of time proves the reality of the evil. The sort of guilt that comes of recognizing that our grief is not special, but something suffered at some time by all. The necessity of performing our duties to those still alive. And, at last, the permission we give ourselves to smile. All these truths were expressed with eloquent tenderness. Next, there is the quality, despite Frankenstein's warnings to the contrary, of reverence for scientific achievement. Walton's ambitions and Frankenstein's achievements are expressed with poetic grandeur. The spirit of science is best captured by Waldman, which, by the way, is my Grandma June's last name. When he tells Frankenstein... Quote, the ancient teachers of this science promised impossibilities and performed nothing. The modern masters promise very little. They know that metals cannot be transmuted and that the elixir of life is a chimera. But these philosophers, whose hands seem only made to dabble in dirt and their eyes to pore over the microscope or crucible, have indeed performed miracles." They penetrate into the recesses of nature and show how she works in her hiding places. They ascend into the heavens, 
they have discovered how the blood circulates and the nature of the air we breathe. They have acquired new and almost unlimited powers. They can command the thunders of heaven, mimic the earthquake, and even mock the invisible world with its own shadows. Unquote. And finally, there is the element of horror, which is hauntingly, chillingly, and still beautifully told. Among my favorites was this passage. Quote, One secret which I alone possessed was the hope to which I had dedicated myself. And the moon gazed on my midnight labors, while, with unrelaxed and breathless eagerness, I pursued nature to her hiding places. Who shall conceive the horrors of my secret toil, as I dabbled among the unhallowed damps of the grave, or tortured the living animal to animate the lifeless clay? My limbs now tremble, and my eyes swim with the remembrance. But then, a resistless and almost frantic impulse urged me forward. I seemed to have lost all soul or sensation but for this one pursuit. It was indeed but a passing trance— that only made me feel with renewed acuteness so soon as, the unnatural stimulus ceasing to operate, I had returned to my old habits. I collected bones from charnel houses, and disturbed with profane fingers the tremendous secrets of the human frame. In a solitary chamber, or rather cell, at the top of the house, and separated from all the other apartments by a gallery and staircase, I kept my workshop a filthy creation. My eyeballs were starting from their sockets in attending to the details of my employment. The dissecting room and the slaughterhouse furnished many of my materials, and often did my human nature turn with loathing from my occupation, whilst, still urged on by an eagerness which perpetually increased, I brought my work near to a conclusion." Unquote. The midnight moon, restless breathing, unhallowed damps, trembling limbs, swimming eyes, frantic impulses, lost souls, profane fingers, tortured animals, dissected corpses, and filthy creations. The horror of this story exists well before the monster appears. And finally, I can't leave this chapter without mentioning one of my favorite lines of all. What could be better to capture the devastation of a dying dream, the disappointment of having to acknowledge the futility of a grand ambition and accept a conventional possibility, than this, quote, I was required to exchange chimeras of boundless grandeur for realities of little worth, unquote. And by the way, I can think of so many characters in literature who, faced with this alternative, choose the chimeras.